Hey, I'm Marin Nguyen, and you're listening to PodNed, a podcast for nurses in the emergency department. Alrighty, welcome to episode five, which I can't quite believe we've made it to episode five. Right. I'm going to start today's episode by um, saying happy birthday to Lisa oh, Lucas. We're actually you. recording on your birthday today, which is yeah. pretty exciting. Was, I was very spoiled, which is very fitting with the well-being episode. I was very spoiled by my team. We should have a whole section on being spoiled. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so it's myself and Lisa here today, and we are here with Dr. Shani Ragwan, who is a staff specialist in emergency. She is also the leader for our wellbeing group in the emergency department and is currently a nominee for the um, ASIM 2020 Wellbeing Award and maybe winner, which yeah. will be very exciting. We'll so see. watch this space. So you're very welcome. Yes, we'll definitely update the status if you if you win. Yeah, yes. be very exciting. We can do an extra <laughs> recording. <laughs> um, why don't you start by um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how did you end up here. Sure. Um, so my background is a little bit all over the place. Um, initially, going way back, I've lived all over the world, travelled all over the world, did a lot of schooling in Thailand and the UK, um, all of medical school in the UK, and then moved out here back to Australia to start training in emergency medicine. Um, so I've had a lot of exposure to lots and lots and lots of different cultures and the way different ways that people think and the different things that people do um, which I think has influenced a lot in my extracurricular and non-clinical interests including well-being. Um, so I moved back to Australia in 2009, started my training with ASEM, was in Melbourne during that time but all my family is based up here in Queensland and in 2016 I decided it was just too far away from them mm. and needed to be close to family. Um, and so I moved back to 2000, uh, in 2016 to Brisbane um, and then came to this department um, in 2017 and I kind of just haven't left. I just really love it here. Um, awesome. And that's There's me. There's lots to love here, I think. There really yeah, is. Definitely. So how did you get involved in the wellbeing group? Like why why is that where you saw you? Yeah, I think your extracurricular activities. My, yeah, my <laughs> extracurricular non-clinical activities. It sort of just came about very organically. Mm -hmm. um, I think naturally I just like to get to know people, um, always on my staff on the floor, my nursing staff, my juniors. I've always liked to take an interest in how they are, what's happening outside of work, what's happening in their lives. And that kind of naturally leads to a position where if somebody is struggling or you notice that someone is struggling, you um, are compassionate towards them and you want to do something to help them. Uh, as I went through my own training, which uh, up to fellowship exams was probably fine. And then Anyone who sat fellowship exams uh, is very aware of the toll that that takes mm. um, over the course of about 12 months of your life, if you're lucky and you pass the first time and not everybody does. It takes a huge toll on your personal well-being, on your uh, mental health, on your physical health, on your relationships with your family and your friends. Um, and so I went through that a couple of years ago and just noticed actually it really wasn't a very happy time at all. Mm. And it was just something that was accepted. Everybody has to go through this. And I wasn't really very happy about that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that anything, exams or career-wise, should ever um, 
we should ever accept that they're just going to make us feel terrible to take um, that yeah. toll like a, yeah. like a just toughen up and get on with it exactly kind of like kind of toughen up we're all pretty tough mm-hmm. um, yeah. we wouldn't be in any of these jobs if we weren't tough and resilient um so i kind of had that advice when i was studying fellowship and didn't pay much attention to that and, and tried to make sure that i was connecting with my friends and family as much as possible and then since then have done as much as i possibly can to forward that advice to all of my mm. juniors um, and that's just kind of expanded to um, looking at my colleagues, uh, looking at the entire department and just trying to find places and moments where I can make their life a little bit better, a little bit easier um, and introduce an idea that it's OK to not be OK. Um, mm. And that, you know, this is something we all go through, um, that some days are good and some days are bad. And there's lots of things that we can do to try and make the bad days a little bit better. Um, and just try and instill that into everyone that I meet in our department. And so that's just evolved into what becoming, it is now. Yeah, yeah. the well-being lead. And that's, that's how I've ended up here. So I think the question that a lot of people, uh, I think, struggle with that would love your advice on is what, is what does it mean? What is well-being or what does wellness actually mean? Because I know that that... That's a different definition depending on who you are. I would say well-being and wellness, it's kind of become a little bit of a dirty word Mm. um, where you have this idea of um, meditating at sunrise um, and having hours to just uh, do yoga and meditation, which are all really, really lovely. But a lot of the response that you get from many people is that I don't have enough time to do that or I don't find those things particularly useful. Um, and you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Those mm. may be some components of well-being, but I think understanding what the overall picture of well-being is and that it's not all yoga and meditation mm. um, maybe helps people to find their own little pocket of well-being. Mm-hmm. So my take on well-being is related to a Japanese concept called Ikigai. Um, and Ikigai looks at things that there are things in your life that can help you with your um, your, something that's going to earn money for you. Um, there's things that you're really good at and there's things that you really love to do. And if you can find something that fits into all of those, um, then like the perfect Venn diagram, then you found your ikigai. It's like your purpose for work. Um, if you can find that particular role um, or if you can adjust your other roles to fit into that little pocket, then you're definitely going to be um, improving on your well-being and that's going to lead to career longevity and happiness and yeah wellness so in order to find your ikigai you've got to think about some basic concepts of um, satisfaction for for human beings satisfaction for self um, and there's these components that we all need at work to mean that we feel like we've got a good job that we're doing a good job um, so we need to feel valued at work we yeah. need to We want to come in and we want to do a good job and we need to have the resources to do a good job. We want to feel like we're doing a good job. Um, We need to feel heard within our team that if we've got ideas or concerns, they're going to be taken seriously. Um, We need to feel supported, especially by our colleagues and by our senior management. Mm -hmm. Um, And we need to feel like we're part of a tribe, like we've got a family that we're coming into at work. And so um, we think about all of those different values and what are the sorts of things that are going to um, promote those values or make you feel like you're satisfying those values. 
and a lot of the stuff that I've done within the wellbeing or within our department for wellbeing try and play into that a little bit. So we try and make sure that we are recognising staff, that we um, are valuing them, specifically with our rescue trolley, that we that initiative we started in March of this year, uh, which is really just a whole bunch of little snacks that everybody could have at home. They've got them at home. They've probably got them in their bags coming into work. Mm. But when a shift is particularly difficult and you haven't had time to have a moment to process the shift or leave the floor to go for a wee or have your lunch break even if you've had all of those things but it's still just a stressful shift just having somebody come to you and take a moment and say we recognize that it's a tough shift at the moment and we value your work and this is a a small chocolate or a small snack it's really not very much financially but it means a big deal just to have that moment of connection and, and tell your staff that you value them um, and it's been really, really well received. Yeah, Definitely. the staff love it. They really do. Mm. The, the, and the CNCs enjoy doing it. I know um, uh, one of our CNCs particular, she doesn't just love doing it. She loves taking photos and you know, <laughs> she's got to put it on the page. And it was a bad shift and the rescue, rescue trolley came out. It's Yeah, it's a little bit of fun in an otherwise yeah. very hard day. I think just it's a great out. initiative. I think it's great because it's something that every could do mm-hmm. and you could yeah. scale it accordingly you know depending on how yeah. I don't know how much money you have or what dollars you have to spend if you can't get stuff donated then you could decide how often you're going to do it it's yeah. pretty easy it's I concept. have to say it's not very expensive yeah um, and we have managed to get some community support it's also a great opportunity for the community to support um, the emergency department mm. we know especially during COVID that um, you know, people are reaching out to healthcare heroes and they want to find ways to support healthcare workers. And this is a really, really easy way to do it. Um, but even if you don't have that community support, it's not a very expensive initiative, but it makes such a huge difference. Yeah. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage it's any other departments to do it. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's made, an, um, I know it's made a huge impact because we get the feedback. And yeah. the staff yeah. have really enjoyed having it. Yeah, Who great. doesn't like a chocolate in the middle of a busy <laughs> shift? Or Who a cereal like bar yeah. or, exactly. you know. Anything. A free pen. That, that <laughs> yeah. you know, makes you happy. Scoopy <laughs> on the trolley. We're well. easily <laughs> pleased. We're easy pleased. Group of people. Something yeah. for free. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Um, We've done some great initiatives here. That's just one example. Um, what, what other, like, great... Um, sort of innovative ideas do you think that we have that we could share with other people, particularly during, like like Marion said, during COVID it's been particularly hard for you guys as the wellbeing team to keep us going yeah. um, with all the restrictions. Um, what are other some other great things that you could suggest to other units that have been big wins but <laughs> fairly easy to implement? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest project that I've been really proud of that, just happened to have been launched during COVID mm-hmm. um, has been our hot debriefing um, mm. program that we're doing. Um, we actually started that or the preparation for it in November of last year. So it was way before COVID. 
Um, but the concept around it, essentially, like everyone's been, everyone knows what a debrief is. Um, everyone's been to some good debriefs. Everyone's been to really bad debriefs. Yeah. Um, and the concept of the hot debrief is that we know that debriefing works really well in terms of um, managing patient care. We know it improves clinical care for patients. But a lot of the controversy around debriefing um, immediately, so a hot debrief immediately after a clinical event, the controversy has been around really psychological safety and psychological harm to staff after the debrief is done. And digging a little bit further into that, most of that comes down to perhaps having people who are not as prepared or qualified to deliver the hot debrief and not really preparing your staff to know what's going to happen in the hot debrief not necessarily having good consistency in those debriefs. Mm. Debriefs are never meant to be about blame. They're never meant to be about individuals being targeted. But if you don't have good preparation and ensure that everybody's on the same page, especially after a very, very emotional, stressful clinical incident, um, our first instinct is to try and find that one thing that went wrong mm. um, and your the easiest thing to do is try and blame an individual. We don't necessarily do it in a malicious way. It's just the way that our brains are wired. Um, and unless you really instill a um, like an environment of psychological safety and you train everyone about psychological safety, um, that's how debriefs go wrong. Mm. So what we did in terms of the hot debrief um, is that we spent a number of months we spoke to staff members. We got some surveys at the beginning as well, looking at how um, how people felt. We used a, um, a survey called the Professional um, Fulfillment Index, which is a evidence based, um, like validated tool for looking at well being in healthcare workers, especially in the emergency department. And we looked at where people lay in terms of that. Looked at people's opinions on debriefing. And what we found was that people didn't really feel comfortable to speak up about anything, which is kind of what we thought that we were going to find. We then went on to the next um, step to say, look, we're going to introduce this debrief project. We canvassed our staff. We were very open if anyone had any criticism to talk through it and try and create a tool that everybody was happy with and felt that they had had some input into. We want to make sure that our staff feel heard and that their opinions are important because they are important. Um, we then got our um, leadership and capability team through um, our organisation to come out and help us deliver the education program. It's really easy to hand out a piece of paper that's got the debrief tool and have people read off the piece of paper. Mm. But what's super important, what all of the education was about, was just what is psychological safety, which I should probably explain. Um, mm. Psychological safety um, is essentially... Uh, creating an environment where anybody feels comfortable speaking up about anything they've noticed so that they don't feel that they're going to be disparaged or punished for speaking up. Um, it's something, you know, when you hear about it, you think, absolutely, that should always be the case. But we know that with traditional hierarchies in medicine and in big organisations, um, it's really hard to speak up to people who are more senior to you or who are in a different... A different stream, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah, if you're a junior nurse and you want to speak up against a staff specialist, that could be yeah. pretty difficult traditionally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But sometimes the junior nurse is the one who's noticed that the oxygen wasn't switched on or that we had difficulty drawing up 
some medication or, or something fundamental um, yeah. because everyone else is so task focused. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that when you're in a clinical incident like a resuscitation, there's so much going on and yeah. there's so many individuals doing their own individual jobs that often just like a collective idea about what's happened um, is we, we miss that. And yeah. very frequently, um, especially a lot of the junior nursing staff afterwards, um, after resuscitations, I'll have conversations with them and they won't fully understand why decisions were made in the resuscitation, mm. but don't feel empowered enough to ask the consultant in the resuscitation about why those decisions were made. Mm. And that can be really hard, especially mm. if you decide that you're not going to continue resuscitation. If not everybody understands why that's happened, that can leave you with quite a lot of psychological burden mm. coming away from that shift. So it's also got clinical learning yeah. opportunities for everybody because Absolutely. of that safe environment. Yes. Yeah. So um, so that's what we really spent all of the education on um, and took quite a number of uh, two months, two and a half months to get everybody educated, mm-hmm. our registrars, our consultants um, and our debrief facilitators and all of our resus nursing staff. Um, and so once that was done in March of this year, no, sorry, in April of this year, actually during Wellbeing Week, we launched <laughs> the, um, the Hot Debrief Project, which was right smack in the middle of COVID. Because mm. um, we didn't have enough to do. No, <laughs> just wanted to add an extra yeah. thing. I think it actually worked out quite well. It did work out well. Yeah. It was perfect timing. Yeah, yeah. It was perfect timing. There was no better time for the staff to, to debrief on a yeah. regular basis Yes, about what was going on. Yeah, and, and I, I think it, it worked to... really well. Yeah, yeah um, it did. Well, I think because their jobs that they do day to day became even harder Yeah, and more challenging and more and more issues were coming up because of all mm. these new requirements, things that we had to do that we weren't used to doing. Yes probably had even more importance than what it normally would yeah so it was perfect and now it's just part of every day like yeah. it's just embedded into what how we practice and yeah. what we do do you think it's fair to say that the reason that we have had such success with this particular uh, initiative is our culture going into it that while it wasn't you know you never have the perfect culture we had a culture of Engagement, uh, engagement mm-hmm. and change management. We've gone through a lot of change here, in particularly in the you know the few years I've been here. Mm. Do you think that that played a big role, or do you think it was uh, mostly the way that it was implemented, or what do you think were the secrets to our success with this? Because it seemed to just fit into yeah. how we do things. Yeah. Do you think it was because? It's just my own interest. It, it, you know, from that initial survey, there was mm. clearly a huge gap. Mm. And do you think it's because it was just the right fit for that gap? I think so. But also, the survey was designed specifically to lead us to the conclusion that we needed a yeah. hot debrief process. Yeah. Um, I think that thinking about the fundamental issues that we want to address in the department so um, the psychological safety and then keeping an eye on the well-being of our staff led us to that within our department led us to the conclusion that this was the initiative that we needed in this department Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would be the same in every other department Mm. but it wasn't 
a hugely costly initiative. No. Um, it did take a bit of time, but honestly, I think if you really want to keep something sustainable, um, which is theoretically a little bit more work for our staff, I mean, it's 10 minutes extra work. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you introduce an initiative um, without getting engagement from your staff and having them really um, excited to be part of a project, then people will maybe not be very happy, perhaps resent having an extra burden of work put on them. Um, So I think in our department, we really relish new ideas Mm. and um, we like to do research. We like to improve all of our processes Mm. and that has been going on for a long time. And so coming into that environment and saying, here's something that we think is going to be really beneficial for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A lot of our processes are um, more focused, as they always are traditionally, when you introduce new things, focused on improving patient care. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's nice to bring something in that is specifically looking at staff staff care. care. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been a fantastic initiative. And I'm one I'm very proud that we were able to be a part of. Um, I think one of the, like, anecdotally for feedback... Um, and this is perhaps worth considering for other units, is that it's had a positive knock-on effect for the multidisciplinary relationships, um, which is is only a good thing. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. And that comes back all the time, mm. um, informally, but like that's yeah. really powerful. I think that's great. Yeah. Just getting the un- getting a- getting us all together as a unit instead yeah. of the two separate disciplines well, everybody understanding mm. other people's points of view and yeah you know we have very while our jobs are we work together they're quite separate in a way and yeah. understanding somebody else's perspective about like exactly what you said why some a decision is made or why did you do it this way or that way um i think that's great because we don't often put ourselves in the shoes of the other person because mm-hmm. we're so busy doing our own job and getting our stuff done that we have to get done and you don't have yeah. that chance to talk things out. So I think yeah. it's great. Mm. Do you think that our our social committee mm-hmm. and everything we do with that is a is something important to have and as, as part of the wellbeing structure and the wellbeing yeah. initiative? Oh, absolutely. Um, our social committee has been around for a lot longer than our wellbeing component of it, but we're definitely hand in hand. Yeah. The social side has been a bit more of a struggle with COVID. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of our events have, you know, been really getting together and kind of had our, you know, taken out at the knees with that, with COVID. Um, so we did try and initiate a whole bunch of other stuff in the department where we can try and um, have things a little bit more lighthearted and um, something a bit fun. Um, and there's been so many initiatives. Some of them have been good. Some of them have been less well received. Um, yeah. We have a, a wall of pets or a pet wall, whatever yeah, version you want to do. Very loved, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, everyone um, loves to show their babies and that was their, yeah. their um, people with fur babies and you know, mm-hmm. animals, they got to show kids I might take kids, a picture, so. I'll put a picture up on the Facebook page yeah. to show people what it is. It's so cool. It brings such a yeah. smile to people's faces yeah. and even people who aren't technically part of our team who use the department they all comment on it it's my great. favorite thing to do with that wall was try and figure out whose pet went to what staff member and yeah. it was quite fun <laughs> when you worked out like some of the really 
Quirkia, shall I say, pets, mm -hmm. like pet pigs in the house and things like that. Mm -hmm. Trying to work out who owned that pet. It was a fun game. I used to love playing that game. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah, it, that, that was a fun initiative. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And just very, everyone was so excited and yeah. I came together for that as well. Mm -hmm. My pet's up there. I well. know, I love <laughs> the staff barbecues. I, I love the Friday. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a There's a barbecue. Yeah, they're my favourite. Who doesn't yeah. love a free burger? That's yeah, great. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. They have come back now. Yeah, they are yeah. Paused for COVID. Co COVID safe barbecues, of yes, course, of course. Absolutely. But they are very fun. It is possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's some of the stuff that we can do as a team mm. at work, which is only part of what it takes for yeah. us to be well. Yes. And to feel healthy and all that goes with that. What are some of the things that you think people can do? Like we all leave pretty stressful jobs. We work long hours. We work unpredictable hours, including night shift weekends. We're away from family. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the things do you think that are most useful for people in careers like ours, like from a personal? Yeah, um, the, it's a really hard question because we've known for a really long time that burnout is especially prevalent in emergency services but we haven't really done a lot of research into preventing we've done stuff about preventing burnout but we haven't really done stuff about kind of not how do we just not get anywhere near the the end of the scale of burnout at all how do we you know make sure that we just stay well what are the initiatives that we stop can do? stop it from getting to that point? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and there's been lots, I would say the vast majority of the research has just been measuring burnout, which is kind of out of date now. We know that it's there. We don't need to measure it anymore. Um, and we're sort of slowly moving into some evidence-based um, work around well-being and Preventative wellness. Preventative exactly. stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and we're all science-based and we want things to be evidence-based. We want to know that things are going to work. So there's only one initiative or one strategy that has been proven to be evidence-based to improve well-being, and that is mindfulness. Um, and so it, that's the one thing that I would say everybody should try. Every other... Can I ask, yeah. just to distill that, what does that mean when you yeah. say mindfulness, I because say, I know what it means for me, yeah. And when I think of mindfulness, but I've done a lot of that work myself. Yes. But a lot of other people, when you say mindfulness, I'm like actually meditating. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So mindfulness is being able to take a moment mm -hmm. to center yourself mm -hmm. and put yourself into this moment, um, and and learning the skills to be able to do that. Essentially, what mindfulness refers to, it's kind of an antidote to the situation where our minds are just all over the place. We've got 500 things going through our mind. We're thinking about what uh, all of the notes that we have to finish from an incident that happened before, how many, all of the different medications that we need to get set up now, and we're doing this gas for this person, and we're waiting for the referral to happen for that one. Um, and I'm, I still need to go and organize all of these other things. And, and then what are all the things that I need to do when I get home this evening? All of us function in this state where, or dysfunction in this state, you say, <laughs> where our mind is torn into hundreds of different directions on a constant basis. Um, and that has 
lots of consequences. I mean, just when you talk about it, you know that that's going to lead to difficulty sleeping, anxiety, um, your moods are all over the place, um, difficulty focusing and concentrating. And if you can't focus and you can't concentrate, then you start to feel like you're not performing very well either. And then there's anxiety about that on top of it. So just the idea that there's so much that you're thinking about all of the time leads to so many complications. It's like its own vicious cycle that feeds itself, mm. isn't yes. it? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so all mindfulness is, is trying to declutter that and just think about what's happening to you right now in this moment. Um, how am I feeling? Where are my tensions at the moment? Um, what's my emotional state? What's my physical state? Do I need to go for a pee? Do I need to have a drink? Have I had something to eat this morning? We have all done shifts where six, eight hours has gone by and we forgot to go to the bathroom. And you haven't had a drink of water. Exactly. Mm. Or, yeah. yeah, you haven't gone for a wee. Yeah. <laughs> How many of us have watched our patients to make sure that their hourly urine output is adequate and then gotten to the end of the shift and been like, my hourly urine output has <laughs> not been adequate. <laughs> yeah, it's you've got about two liters in there ready to roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's all mindfulness is. So it's kind and of about being present. Yeah. In this moment. Yes. And just paying attention to where you're at. Yeah. Okay. And by doing that, you just give your mind a little bit of a break. Mm -hmm. um, you're not constantly carrying all of those thoughts and feelings and emotions just focusing on one so if we link mindfulness with burnout mm -hmm. how often are we supposed to do that so that is, is it a really bit like question how long is a piece of string it Pretty depends much. on the person yeah. or yeah right. i think it also depends on how you approach your mindfulness so there's a few different apps that are out there that uh, can help you start your mindfulness journey um, a good one is the smiling mind um, and at the moment, you can get a course on the Smiling Mind for healthcare professionals for free. And I would definitely recommend people to sign up to that. Um, there's lots of different lengths of mindfulness on there. So mm -hmm. you can do some that are a couple of minutes long and there's some that are up to an hour long um, that are kind of like meditations. But really what they're trying to do is just get you to stop and slow down mm. and be present in this moment. It's a really good way to develop the skills of mindfulness, but it's not the only way that you can practice mindfulness. And it's probably not necessarily the best way that you can practice mindfulness, certainly not for everyone. My way that I practice mindfulness is just trying to find those moments in between things that are happening during the day. So um, I take a moment to take some deep breaths, feel where the tension is in my body and just try and ground myself when I go to the bathroom, when I'm doing an ABG, when I am on the phone waiting for someone to answer the phone, um, any moment where I've got 30 seconds, a minute, the walk from to the hospital from the car park, where mm. I've got like seven, eight minutes, um, I try and just check in on how I'm feeling at that point. I want to make sure that when I come into work, I'm not um, using any counter transference. I don't want to bring any negative emotions or um, feelings that I'm having where I'm stressed out. I don't want that to just kind of build up through the day um, and feed into every interaction that I have at work. Mm. And so there's a concept of um, the moment in between where you're moving from one moment to the next moment, say from a meeting or in our, in our case, from one patient to the next patient. 
And just in that change moment, um, you can just check in with yourself. Make sure that you're not sort of carrying anything from your last interaction into your new interaction. And that's that's mindfulness. Yeah. It's just trying to kind of move away from all of the other things that are bearing on our minds and just focus on what's happening right in yeah. this moment. Um, I don't meditate. I've tried. Just don't find it very. I'm with productive. you on that. I'm I'm not a meditator. I am a meditator. Do <laughs> I do it every morning, like brushing my teeth. Oh, that's yeah. that. Yeah, I, but it's not for everybody, and mm. and there's so many different ways of doing it. Uh, I I found one that works for me. It's ten minutes. I do it in the morning before I um, do anything else. And I find it beneficial for me. But there are other ones that I've tried that have been, you know, 30 minutes long and I find myself getting really bored and I just then I don't continue with it. And, yeah, so I guess um, I can't I do just, it. I, just, I love that you can do yeah. it. I can't do it. It's not for me. Mm. I'm more like someone who I try and notice, like, the little things. So mm -hmm. using your car park walk, for an example, like mm -hmm. I'll look at, I don't know, the wildlife or something, like, oh, look at that little fella. He's so cute. Or just to try and notice my surroundings and nature and enjoy those small little things before you come in here and like hit the ground running but that's oh. at least at the beginning of every shift yeah. and at the end of every shift yeah um but i can't meditate mm. I fall that's asleep. great that you can do it yeah i think I, that's why i do it for 10 minutes i always have to get yeah. up to do it because if i lie down to do it i fall fall back asleep <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes, like, I figure that if I keep falling asleep during meditation, that is because I need sleep. Yeah. And that's what I need to do for myself in that yeah. moment yeah. is fulfill a physiological need. Um, and so that's what I'm going to Yeah. If I do. do a long one, then yes, yes, I would lie down and happy to fall asleep yeah. then. Um, and sometimes if I struggle to sleep, I will do it purely mm -hmm. for that. But I... I started a couple of years ago because um, through some of the, the, the personal development work I do, someone suggested that it was good to keep you clear-headed and just, just to keep you moving through the day in a, in a productive way. Um, and I tried a few different types. And um, the, guy, the guy I do a lot of work with, the, the team I do a lot of personal work with, uh, I said I was doing it to, to deal with my stress and he said, that's not why you meditate. You don't meditate to deal with stress. You meditate to meditate. That's You just do it like brushing your teeth. It's just part of your day. Go about it. It's not a, a coping response, mechanism yeah. or a response mm. to something. It is part of keeping yourself in mm. that state mm. of mindfulness. Yeah. Mm. I think that's a really important point, actually, because... Mm. One of the other things, um, conversations that I've had with a lot of my colleagues and friends is when they're feeling stressed, that's the moment where they go and try and meditate, do meditation yeah. or mindfulness. Um, and it doesn't, no. it actually, in reality, if you're going to uh, meditate or mind, attempt mindfulness when there's something that's really huge that's on your mind, um, you're going to continue thinking about that. Mm -hmm. you, you're kind of already... So we should be doing it to try and stop us getting to that point in the first place where possible. Well, you're going you're gonna to get there daily. anyway. Mm. As, sorry, mm. I didn't mean to. No. I think you're going to get to those moments of stress. Everybody's mm. going to have that. It's unrealistic to think you're not going to have the ebbs and flows Correct. throughout the day. But if you have that 
constant ability mm. to just remain Take mindful. Take a break. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and get yourself ready. That's why I do it in the morning. It was like a, you, mm. you set yourself up for mm. the day. Um, and that it's, you know, apparently more beneficial to set yourself up rather than try and do mm. it at the end of a day because that then you're trying to cope with the day that's been mm. rather than prepare for the day that is. That's coming. Yeah. yeah. But you're still going to have those. But hopefully you have less of a swing. Yeah. Mm. Perhaps. Shani, mm. you touched on it briefly a few minutes ago. You spoke about sleep. Mm-hmm. And being a psycho or a physiological yeah. yes. need. need. Yeah. So that obviously plays a huge part. And yeah. I think particularly as shift workers, we are often playing catch up. Yes. Because we do sleep at all different times of the day. Yeah. We do night shift and you know, you eternally feel like you're sleep deprived and catching up. So that's obviously a really important yeah. thing. Are there any other kind of physiological things yeah. that we should consider? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the important concepts, so there's a doctor at Gold Coast by the name of Shahina Braganza, um, and she is part of a group called RAPEM, it's W-R-A-P-E-M, and they have been doing a lot of work in wellness and resilience for a long time, um, and their website's fantastic, so definitely most yeah. of my ideas have come from their website, um, and I've just turn them into life here um, so shout out to them yes yeah, definitely thanks very much <laughs> um, and Shahina posted early on in COVID she talked about the well-being um, hierarchy of needs so a kind of adaption of Maslow's hierarchy yeah, of needs right. um, and it's very very similar so when we like we, we were saying earlier just before the podcast we were talking about um, well-being and resilience and they're kind of have become slightly dirty words for people to hear now because obviously we are resilient. We wouldn't be able to do our jobs if we weren't resilient. Um, And there's definitely uh, traditionally when we've talked about well-being from an organisational level, there's been this uh, attempt to fix well-being by introducing just these very superficial uh, activities. So unfortunately, fixing well-being on an organisational level, isn't going to happen with compulsory yoga at lunchtimes. Um, or which, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Surprising. Or, That's a really good thing because I don't think I want to see some people do yoga and I don't think some people want to see me do it either. <laughs> it's not a good look. It's really not a spectator's sport, really. No. I don't know if you're meant to watch the yoga. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... I think uh, there's some other organisations who've introduced like compulsory learning modules about well-being and, res- and none of that's going to fix it. So what what you kind of yoga's at the tip. It's the tiny tiny little triangle at the top of the hierarchy of needs that leads to sort of spiritual actualization. But unless you've really taken care of the bottom parts of the pyramid, which are physiological well-being, safety, physical safety, psychological safety, you can't start to to the top exactly you have to look after those physiological Mm. needs and so um what shahina has done is is think what are those physiological needs for healthcare workers during covid so sleep super important Mm. part of that is adequate rostering we need to make sure that our rostering is safe and fair especially when we're going into covid we're getting sick leave we're getting people coming off uh, isolation and quarantine mm. we have to make sure that our staffing is adequate so that we can maintain physiological well-being of our staff yeah so that people get a break absolutely yeah they have to get a break yeah 
food sustenance, making sure that that is available. The rescue trolley kind of comes into that a little bit, um, although there's not full meals on there. But there's definitely sustenance. stop the, the sugar slumps at yes. three o'clock in the afternoon. Absolutely. Um, so making sure that there's you know um, food and and water available is really important. Another huge physiological need. Um, safety which is a huge one for the emergency department. We have to make sure that our staff feel physically safe at work. Mm. And I know that that's an issue. And sometimes all of these really, really basic issues, they're so important, but they are often some of the most difficult ones to manage. So mm. rostering and staffing is difficult to manage. Um, it's expensive and you don't always get a huge amount of buy-in, but that doesn't mean that they can be fixed by yoga. They're still really, really important. They're more important than anything else. And, we, you know, we keep advocating for that. Um, staff safety is a huge one. We've been talking about it for years. Um, we have to, yes, we've got zero tolerance in our workplaces. Um, sometimes, you know, things still get through. Um, there is still a lot of unacceptable levels of physical um, violence, verbal violence, um, that is in our departments and that affects staff well-being yep. yeah mm. and you know fundamentally addressing that mm. which needs to be from an organizational level as well um, and really addressing that in a very thorough comprehensive way um, I also think on, well-being. on that point that it needs to be we need to make it easy for the staff absolutely too, and I think sometimes that's what's missing yes um there's a lot of difficulty around that, isn't mm. there? There's a lot of sense that if you have chosen to work in an emergency department, that you, that's just part of the job. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's accepted yeah. that you're going to have to deal with that. Mm. And yeah. it's really not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I feel like that's much bigger than any of us. It's, mm. it's kind of a whole social mm -hmm. thing on its own or a societal thing, isn't it? It is. Um, there is a lot of work being done mm. behind the scenes. Um, and I think like that's really important. And I know in some departments that I've worked in, um, people have held their own emergency alarms mm. as, as a way to, we might not be able to fix the whole system, but what are the things that we can do? What can um, we control? Yeah. yeah. Um, and in our department, I think our security is absolutely fantastic. Mm. We've got our code grey protocols and we um, make sure that we're engaged with security all the time. They attend all of our meetings when we're talking about staffing in the department. Mm -hmm. We are very proactive about trying to spot when Where safety is going to be an issue. Maybe, yeah. Exactly. So we might not be able to fix, fix a system, but as a department, you can do some things to make your staff feel safer coming into work. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really, really important mm. as well. Um, so... Those physiological needs, those are things that we once again can do in the department. As individuals, it's really important to think about those things as well. Mm. And there are things we have to be aware of. A lot of the traditional, uh, I'll call them coping mechanisms that we often joke about as shift workers and especially as um, emergency personnel um, don't necessarily feed into actually benefiting us or actually looking after our physio physiological needs the big one that I'm talking about is alcohol yeah um you know we all we've always had a, a joke about you know you get home from your shift and, and have a drink exactly yeah. and you know, have a few wines have a few beers was this a 
a one glass of wine shift or a three <laughs> glass of wine shift, um, which is absolutely fine. Alcohol has its place. Um, but I think also... Because it's just recognising that it doesn't actually fix anything no, long exactly. term. It yeah. can be helpful it's in the all, short it's term. Just numbing, it's just numbing what, whatever you've had that day, but they're still going to be there the next day if you don't actually connect with what's happened. Or, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it can be detrimental, especially yeah. for the physiological Absolutely. side. Um, yeah. So that's really important. I think um, I personally feel I'm really, really happy that well-being is something that we're talking about this year. It's sort of um, prior to that mm, only been looked at from a pathological perspective that we just talk about burnout but mm. not about what does a healthy psychological like. yeah what what does it look like when we're doing really really well and we're talking about that a lot more this year which is great mm. um and some of the long-term opinions around um what our capacity for trauma should be as personnel in the emergency department or in emergency services um a lot of those conversations are shifting so there was a lot of um, i agree yeah yeah like suck it up this is just what we do um you're gonna see this stuff if you work here exactly it doesn't mean it doesn't affect you though does it exactly um and if it does affect you that doesn't mean that you're any worse at your job or that you need to go into a different specialty um, (laughs) which uh, has been has been suggested to me and we've spoken about this before like we see some things day to day that we just consider normal Mm -hmm. because of what we do that people who are not in this profession or in this environment in a million years, mm-hmm. they wouldn't see it. And they don't see it as normal. But we're so adjusted down one end of the scale that when we are generally affected by stuff, it's really hectic stuff. Yeah, You yes. know, that for somebody outside of our environment would be, they couldn't even comprehend it. Yeah, Or we're triggered by the smallest thing. Yes. Because yes. we've had that build up of this yeah. is normal, this is normal, this is normal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden something quite what can be considered quite minor for us and yeah. on an our scale yeah. will set us over the edge. I've yeah. had that happen and I've yeah. had, you know, that happened to staff before as well. Yeah. So I I agree. I think it's I think I think it's a lovely shift for our professions that mm. we're making this move and this change and that it's definitely in everybody's forefront at the moment. Yes. Yeah. It's great. It is, and and I think that that we're getting a nice community shift as well, mm-hmm. in that well being and wellness and the wellness industry mm. for just the general community is massive, particularly mm. with COVID. And I think that there's there's been a shine on us as healthcare professionals, particularly was, yeah, this year. I think there's been a shift to, to look after a us, shifting and, community perspective yeah. about community supporting what yes. we do. Absolutely. We've definitely got a lot of community support and Absolutely. a bit of love and a bit of well-being yeah. and a bit of, yeah, you know, it was fabulous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Healthcare yeah. heroes. Yes, yeah. and I yeah. hope yeah. that the guys down in Victoria are still getting that. You know, I'd like yeah. to think they are. Yeah, I hope so. Mm. We're all thinking about them and sending yeah. lots of. Really, really briefly before we wrap it up, mm. we spoke a bit earlier about. Um, this is probably going back to just things that we can do on a professional mm-hmm. um, note. You talked about, you know, people kind of finding their tribe or feeling like you're coming to work 
to be part of a family. We all joke about it, our work family, don't we? Because mm. we spend so much time here. It's my work um, wife right here. Yeah, it's my work <laughs> wife, that's it. Um, and people feeling heard and feeling supported. So that obviously is also something, none of this is black and white, that can be quite different for each individual. Yeah. What are some small things do you think that we can do, both for our department here, but that for people who might be listening, um, kind of some steps that they could take to make moves towards that for their teams? Um, I would say the single biggest issue when it comes to feeling like you're being heard or not is communication. Um, certainly from our department, we've taken huge steps. So we've got our Teams um, app and communication through the Teams app, I think, has made a huge difference for communication through COVID. Mm-hmm. When people are concerned and they have um, a worry and they, or they've noticed something that is not going very well in the department, it's all, um, obviously we've got risk mans and, and things like that and there's ways to escalate it, but there needs to be communication in the other direction as well. You don't want to feel like you're just screaming into the void and nobody's listening to you. Yeah. Um, and those are conversations that I've had with a lot of staff members where they feel like they're advocating, but it's just going nowhere. Mm-hmm. The reality of it is it's probably going somewhere, um, but it's happening now outside of their sphere. And if you don't get that feedback to say, hey, we acknowledge this or, yeah, and this yeah. is what we've done mm. and we weren't able to do this, but here's what we have done mm. or, you know, this is the feedback. So um, making it a two-way conversation yes. rather, transparent, yeah, yeah. rather than... Yeah. just stopping at a certain point yes yeah like it's keep going up and up and up and it's never coming back down exactly people line. feel like nothing's been actioned for yeah. example yeah. if they raised yeah and often things take a really long time mm. um to happen to they change yeah. organizational changes mm. it, it takes ages yeah but if that's what's happening i think it's really important to feed back to yeah. the people who are on the floor on the ground to yeah. say hey we we hear you guys this is a tough thing to change, but we're working on it. And yeah. here's where we're at at mm, this point. Yeah. Um, makes a big difference. Um, when I mentioned teams, I think uh, earlier on in COVID, there was a lot of concerns everywhere about PPE. That was yeah. a really, really big concern, understandably. Mm-hmm. And it was really unclear what PPE was needed to be used um, and what PPE was available and when, it, when more was going to become available. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really created a lot of anxiety with our staff. Um, So one of the things that I think we did really, really well was making sure that we were communicating that in a clear way, in an accessible way for everybody. And that communication was happening immediately. So as soon as our management found out information, we were disseminating that information through the Teams app to all staff members. Um, and that's really important. You don't want to have to go looking for these answers. No. It's important to make our um, make it staff, easy for yeah. people to find what they need. Exactly. Yeah. And to feel like you are an important, valued member because you're being given that information directly. Um, so I, I honestly, I feel like the Teams app has made a huge difference yeah. um, in terms of just relieving some of the COVID-induced yeah. anxiety. Yeah. Um, so people can function a little bit better. So I would say if you can, if you are having or you're feeling like you want to improve um, psychological safety and you want people to speak up a little bit more and feel empowered to do that, ensuring that you 
have communication. Yeah, um, and, and genuine two-way two yeah, communication. Yeah, awesome. That's awesome, Shani. Thank you so much. Um, I, I've sat here just completely invested in what you're saying. I Me love too. It. I feel yeah. like I've learned so much. Yeah. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> I love it. So we have three little questions for you that we mm-hmm. ask all our guests that I'm so excited to hear answers now. <laughs> I know. So first question is, what is the most profound thing that has ever happened to you? So that, like, I have been thinking about these questions and it's like as soon as you ask the question, 50 things come up in my mind. So can I talk about two, sure. if that's okay? So in my career, the most profound thing that has happened to me was a, um, a poor outcome with a patient, which just completely changed where I was in my career, the way I thought about my job, um, and really pushed me into looking at well-being um, in a much clearer way. So I, I just had a patient who um, didn't do very well in ICU, I didn't know about it, so they'd been discharged from ICU and then re-attended to ED you know, several days or I think about a week after they'd presented and then had deteriorated, but it had come back to some decision-making that had happened whilst they were in ICU and on the overnight shift had been under my care as a registrar. And the first that I heard about it was when I was informed that an investigation of proper, um, oh my goodness, what's it called? Like a root cause analysis (laughs) um, was being done and I was going to need to come and sit in a meeting um, with the investigators, um, including from the Department of Health, about this event. Um, So understandably, that was terrifying. Yeah. But the profound part of it was I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what, what was the error, what could I have done if I had made this decision or if I had made that decision, um, I spoke to, I, I don't know how many senior clinicians, easily 30, 40 senior clinicians, and every single clinician gave me a different answer. Mm. And every single clinician was 100% confident in their answer. Mm. Um, and so that just got me to a point where I, I realised that there's no amount of study or education that's going to give me every single answer and that medicine it is never black or white, um, and I'm just going to have to live with uncertainty, mm. which was not something that I had ever contemplated before. Yeah, I just thought if I read enough books or journals or textbooks, then I would just I would have you would eventually you would I would know, know the answer, answer. Mm. and that sometimes that's not wow. the case. Um, and the well-being part of it was I really was not in a good state it was really the trigger for me moving back up to Queensland after that event um eventually about six months later um and that I needed to invest a lot more in um just looking after myself Mm. after that event um changed everything in my life really Mm. wow uh yeah I knew I was gonna like it (laughs) yes I know (laughs) Um, that was great. And then I guess um, the other profound event um, was just sitting with my aunt, um, watching sunrise across uh, the Grand Canyon. How could I have forgotten the name of that? <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And it's just really, it's beautiful. And I think having those moments where you realise that you are just like a small part of the universe, mm. um, it, it it's really grounding yeah. um, 
Yeah. So that would that's be a like great example. That's a, yeah, that yeah. is a, that's awesome. What is the greatest thing anyone has ever done for you? So um, also a clinical one because that's the only one I could think of. So after that event, um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my career, what I was going to do with my life. I wasn't really sure that I definitely wanted to stay in medicine after that happened because I it really shook me, the idea that I wouldn't have all the answers at some point. Um, and I sat down with my ICU consultant at that time. Am I allowed to shout out to my ICU? Absolutely. So that's Dr. Max Moser. Um, he is an incredible, incredibly supportive um, like director of training. Um, actually, I don't think he was director. He was just a, one of the supervisors. He sat down with me for a long time and we talked about what had happened and where I wanted to go and kind of casually said, look, I might want to move back to Queensland. Um, and he... At the end of that meeting, he was like, I'll take care of yourself. And then I got a call from him two days later and he had organised a job for me up here, um, had contacted the ICU director in Queensland and had said, I've got this trainee and I want her to have a job. He knew that I wasn't necessarily following the ICU route, but was like, if this is what you need to move back to be with your family, then I'm going to help facilitate that um, and found me a job wow. just a within a couple man. of days. Yeah, um, just absolutely fantastic it's exactly what I needed at that time I would have figured it out by myself eventually it was just really nice to have somebody that support in your yeah. corner yeah. yeah that's awesome yeah okay what's one piece of advice you would give us uh one piece of advice not everybody wants to get in clinical yeah <laughs> yeah go on not everybody is cookie cutter um and there isn't a single idea of what the end of your career or like what what being senior in your career looks like so specifically for emergency medicine trainees if there's any of them listening to this at the moment um we always talk about lots of trauma and where the next job is going to be um right now there's less jobs consultant jobs in some of the really popular areas of the country um and there's always a lot of anxiety about what what do I need to do to make myself sellable? What kind of fellowship do I need to do? Do I need to do ultrasound? Do I need to do something else? Um, and I would say just forget about all of that. Just think about what are the things that you really, really enjoy. Invest time in figuring out what it is about you as an, indi as an individual. What completes you? What makes you feel whole? What, what your grounds you? Exactly. Mm. Um, and something will fall into your lap. Pursue what you're interested in. Pursue what you what you love. And the job will form around you. That's mm. what I would say. That's great, great advice. That's, That's great advice for anyone, I think. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Find your values. and Don't put your time and that. energy into stuff that you're not enjoying. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank Amy. you for having me. That was a wonderful chat. Yeah. I feel very informed. I feel very <laughs> zen. Yeah, at peace actually. Yeah. I feel like I've just been in a trance for the last hour. <laughs> it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So there we have it. That was Shani. That was so cool. I was so yeah. into what she's saying was I feel like I learned a lot yeah yeah um just listening to her talk is obviously her area of interest she just knows so much about it yeah you can see that she's yeah exactly that she's 
passionate about that and yeah. has a, a real focus towards making sure that we have, you know, things in place yeah. within our department. I think it's really cool. Loved it. Yeah. Loved every second. Me too. And I loved her answers to your three questions. Yeah. That yeah. was great. God, I love those questions. They always give us some great stuff, hey? They're so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So next month, next month's going to be going to be different for us because I'm making the big move over to the north side so oh. I'm going to have to actually travel to you I don't want to talk about yeah. it I'm leaving so. my work wife yeah um. so Lisa's moving on to I won't say greener pastures let's just say different <laughs> different pastures um so she's not going to be part of our team anymore which will be see a lot of big change for our own team which yeah. we're pretty sad about but um Pod Ned will continue for will. the moment. Yes, it will. It will always continue. Yeah. So next month we're going to talk different roles in the ED. And we're going to interview a few different people in different roles and have a look a bit at what that looks like and how you can yeah, get there. How you can get there. Yeah. Succession planning for those kind of roles. Obviously they'll be different in different units, but yeah. some of the stuff will be um, translatable across yeah, absolutely. different organisations or facilities. So yeah. um, I'm excited for that, and I quite like interviewing people. Yeah, me too. It's great. Yeah. So it'll be quite big, so we'll have to split it into a two-parter next week. Yeah, so for those of you who might have interests or aspirations to, you know, grow into more senior roles, maybe some more specialist roles like yeah. um, education or nurse practitioners or CNCs, um. Yeah, tune in next month. Yeah. See you guys. Bye.